Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kellen and Alex show. This edition of the podcast was recorded in July of 2020 with special guest David Willey. We get into the big question. Can you make a Franny wear a mask? Father Dave has just released his new plan for reopening campus. There's a lot of rules and regulations and social distancing and masks required. We get into all of that and more in this edition of the Kellen and Alex show. Well, I mean, God bless him, really, because it's a, it's an unenviable task to to be trying to balance all the, keep all the balls in the air of keeping both, you know, the government, the Ohio government happy, trying to bring as many students back to campus as possible to really keep on the, the mission of, you know, formation and education. Um, I think it really is, you know, there, there's a real sense, I think, among the, the staff, I get the impression that our Franciscan, that they really don't want to do online work just because the formation is so integral at Franciscan. Right. But I mean, as a student, you just, you watch the video and you read the, read the document, which I, I did get to do. And you just kind of, it feels a bit draconian really, because I mean, masks everywhere, including outside. If you're not socially distanced, no one's allowed in dorms. If you don't live there, um, dorm rooms are going to be socially distanced. Household members can't go into dorms. Um, oh, really? So, so like a martyr who's off uh, outside of Trinity couldn't go into Trinity? That is correct. Yeah. So basically, you have to have household commitments either outside or off campus. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, you know, this is, the, I'm going to be off campus this year. Um, and I've got to admit, I mean, I'm very glad I'm going to be off campus just because it's going to be so tough. And I feel, I feel sorry for, the RAs and, and all the student life trying to enforce these policies, which no one is going to take, take well, I don't think. Yeah. Here's you the know? thing is like, who's going to take these that seriously at Franciscan? I mean, we're like, everyone's on top of everyone, the entire, just, <laughs> we're just in the Egan, like pressed up talking with people. You're, you're in the calf, you're sitting with your household and yelling and throwing crap, right. Annoying people at breakfast. That's my, yeah. the thing I hate the most of Franciscan is those household breakfast. Cause I can never go get <laughs> breakfast. I, I I legitimately despise them. If I was president, I would just end that part of it. No household groups <laughs> until like after nine a.m. Oh. It's the worst. It's, well, anyways, wow. household life is such you know a huge integral part of Franciscan. And Father mentioned it in his video. He did. He did. And to not even be able to, I mean, you really like what commitments can you have as a as a household group? You know, if you can't even go in dorms and stuff, and and what is that going to look like? What's household life going to look like? I mean, let's just yeah. dive into that part of it. I mean, you're in household. I'm I'm not, so. Sure. Yeah, so I'm in martyrs, and so we have maybe 23, 24 members. So trying to find a location off campus will be pretty difficult for a group that size, I think. Um, I suppose, I mean, a lot of it will just be the logistics of it. I think what will be nice and I think a lot of people will gravitate towards this is that while the weather's fine, people will be happy to be outside. But immediately that's going to, I mean, are they, are they going to be expecting people to wear masks at commitments? Probably. I mean, no one's going to do that, but I do think, I do think inevitably what they're trying to do, um, you know, so I, I, if you, I'm sure you guys watched the video from father Dave and yeah, again, you know, what a guy. He tried to put a really positive spin on dorm life and said, we want to make dorms more like homes. 
by not letting anyone go in, you know, <laughs> and uh, everyone's staying away from each other when they're inside them. So, you know, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to say you can have the community life, but also at the same time, please don't go near anyone at all, even your roommate or anyone in your classroom or anyone in your household. And I think one or the other is going to happen pretty early on, which will define the semester, I think. Either people are going to just basically give up on doing lots of socializing and they'll have a couple of good friends and they'll just go off campus and hang out with their friends. Or almost immediately, and I think this is quite likely, people are just going to give up on all these rules and RAs will stop enforcing it and people are just going to stop caring. So I think I, I, I don't see a way that we have a semester where we have the fraternity and the spiritual life in common and all of this and maintain some of these, these procedures. Um, so I think household life is probably going to suffer. David, I have a question. Um, so a lot of universities, I mean, all the CSUs here in California, they have gone to online. A lot of public universities in the United States have gone online. Why do you think, if this happens, why do you think that students at Franciscan would start to kind of lose, you know, not, you know, stop wearing masks and not follow these guidelines? Like, if all the students knew that all these public universities were going online, don't you think that they would be propelled to wear those masks all the time because they want to keep it open? instead of like being defiant? Sure. And I think that's a, that's a legitimate possibility because I, I do agree with you. And I think, so if that happens though, I think we will see the death of communal life on campus, right? Because, yeah. I mean, so just in England, I think it's coming into effect at midnight tonight. Um, there are parts of England like Manchester, um, parts of Lancashire, are reverting to these these previous guidelines and saying, as of midnight, I think it's tonight, you can't mix with people outside your, your family or the people in your house, right? Um, and so, that, you know, and that's obviously, that sounds kind of extreme, but that's essentially what is being asked of us in a lot of these situations, like try not to mix with people and, you know, and, and thus you'll prevent the spread of COVID. And if you do mix with people, cover up at least half your face. <laughs> You know, which we know is like, again, it's just, it's gutting social communication to, to cover up your face, to stay more than six feet apart. So I, I think it is, it is possible, Kellen, that we will see people, people really trying to stick to these guidelines. And, and I would, honestly, I would say that seems to me to be the best solution right now is on the whole, like, just try and follow the rules because Student life is putting them in because they're desperately trying to keep us open. They're trying to stop COVID cases, which would inevitably close down campus. That said, realistically, what you're asking people to do is keep a distant goal in mind for a present to, and thus sacrifice a present good, right? And if you're in the calf, it's going to be like, Brandies won't do that. My, yeah, my friend Kellen, <laughs> who's right here. I'm just going to take off my mask and stand next to him and talk to him. Or you're like leaving the classroom and you're like, I want to stay behind and talk to these guys who are having this great conversation about what the teacher just said. I'm just going to stay here and talk to them. You know, 
I, I think while I agree with you that kind of everyone needs to pull together as much as possible and just say, you know what, it's going to kind of, it's going to be disappointing, but we should, we should try and follow these guidelines. Well, that's great. I just, I just don't see it happening, especially because we all know none of us are really at risk. And it seems to me that people who are more likely to be at risk, you know, for any students with like pre-existing, you know, pre-existing conditions and diabetes and all these kinds of things that put you at risk, they're not going to come back anyway, most likely, um, and put themselves in a group of 2,000 people. And so most people aren't going to feel like they're threatening anyone. So I'm just, I'm not, I'm not sure how realistic it is. How do you think the professors are going to like take all this stuff? I, you're in Steubenville, you know, your dad's a professor. Um, do you think they're going to be, because also Father Dave said they're going to expand the number of classes because they can only have 25 students maximum in a classroom, right? So mm-hmm. do you think there's professors who are going to be like, okay, I'm kind of old. I want to do all my classes online and not have them in person or professors who, you know, have legitimate concerns that they don't want to be on campus at all. Cause we do have a number of very, you know, older pre-existing condition professors. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. And I kind of hope that is the case because if you think about it, like you said, we have several professors who are well into their seventies and you know, that is the age group we should be concerned about with COVID. Right. And it makes sense to me that people who find themselves in that situation should just choose, you know, the most prudent thing for me. Even if people are trying to socially distance and trying to wear masks, the most prudent thing for me is just to not be on campus. You know, because otherwise, the problem is, is that if people do just like, they just want to take off their mask or people do forget it in their dorm room and they don't have it or whatever, then it's suddenly going to become this big deal because actually, gosh, you might be threatening someone's life right now. And then you and tackle them and then you put them in exactly, And then you tackle them and cover their mouth and pull their shirt over their face. And, and then lock them in CTK. So here's your concrete dark, prison. prison. Where there is weeping, weeping and gnashing of <laughs> Exactly. <Yeah. laughs> that, that should be the tagline of CTK. So according to Father Dave's new guidelines, David, there's going to be five daily masses. Yeah. So do you think that that's a smart idea as compared to the previous three? Or do you think that because maybe because, you know, spacing them out, we'll have less people each time, but we'll still have that availability. You know, why would we go to five and, 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 you know, not stick at three? Well, again, and this is, what I really admire about Father Dave is he's doing his best to keep, you know, to, to replicate a normal semester while being in this straitjacket of, of concern and regulation. Because it seems to me that what he's trying to do is, yeah, so they wouldn't be allowed probably to just have an unsocially distanced mass. And so as soon as you begin trying to, I mean, first of all, I mean, what's it's a little easier in a parish church because people sit in household groups, you know, four or five. I mean, I don't know if they're going to ask every single student to space themselves out six feet, but that's going to drastically reduce how many people can be in a pew and in the church. So I, I mean, it's going to put a lot more strain on the priest, obviously. But yeah, I'm glad they're doing five because it means that you know, people will still have a real opportunity to get to there. 
And I, because I think if they kept it at three, a lot of people would just say, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be able to get into the church. I'm not even going to bother. I'll just go on Sunday. So it's going to be interesting how many, I, I wonder if there's like priests as well who, you know, aren't going to be present there who maybe have pre existing conditions or aren't willing to risk it. Um, I'm also I, looking at the plan, and I just want your thoughts on this. I think nearly everything seems good and it's going to stay the same. The only thing for me, and because I have money on the line, is uh, online school. <laughs> Kellen, if I told you about my bet I made, you made I'll, a, I'll you bet it. online, but you know we're coming back now, so you're you're kind of losing your bet, buddy. Look, it's first day, oh. okay? All right, first day. So I've made a bet I'm with winning. the student the government. I've made a bet with the student government president and vice president. Uh, also with Kirian Fedorov, that there will be no in-person classes at all this semester. Now I got it on three to one odds because I think it's it's still fairly unlikely. I think they'll they'll probably be, but uh, so they they will owe me collectively seventy five dollars, and I will owe them oh. collectively thirty five. I think if I win, uh, or sorry, you ain't if they win. It. All right. Well, my case though <laughs> is um, everything seems like it it would work. The the people who are at risk here is, you know, faculty, older people. And, um, and if we have in-person classes, those are going to be the times of most likely, uh, COVID contamination spreading when you're sitting in an enclosed space with somebody for over an hour, even with a mask, even with whatever, breathing the same air, you're, you know, you got to talk with your professor and a professor being an Egan Hall, going to his office, talking with other professors, um, not all of them are just ancient, but like, you know, they have families and they have concerns and stuff. So, and you have these kids who are coming from literally all over the country from hot spots. Um, so, and, and father Dave might not, not even decide this. It might be the Ohio governor. And by the way, the Ohio governor was one of the first ones to initially shut everything down. Right. So, um, so he might, before the semester starts say, sorry, colleges, you're going to have to all be online. Although he's been saying, you know, pro in-person stuff um but i think everything else looks like it's just gonna be a problem of implementation like are, are people gonna actually wear masks everywhere around franciscan are they actually not going to go into other people's dorms um i think they'll they'll shirk off the you know the covid distancing stuff pretty pretty rapidly but the only like administrative change thing i see is online classes yeah I mean, we'll really, at this point, we'll just have to wait and see because I agree with you, Alex, that things actually seem to be getting worse in Ohio in terms of numbers and regulations. It was only recently that they required everyone to wear masks again um, when you're out in public. And so it definitely seems possible to me that I, I've actually, I'm, I'm naturally quite an optimistic person. I, um, me and Clement actually balance each other out quite well because he's naturally quite a pessimistic person. So, um, <laughs> that's why we've been such good friends, I think, for so long because, you know, I just, I always tend to think, oh, things will work out, look on the bright side. You know, generally, you know, God's providence, all things work for the good. But I found myself unnaturally or uncharacteristically pessimistic. Uh, I would have probably backed your bet that there would not be in person classes. And I still, I still find myself a little skeptical that we'll make it beyond a couple of weeks into the semester. Mm. Because once you, as you say, you bring students from all over the country, I don't see how you can avoid immediately having 200 cases of COVID. Mm. 
not severe ones, but cases. Right. I, I can't see how you avoid that unless you expect people to robotically follow every guideline to actually say six, six feet apart from all each other. And so given, given that high likelihood, it seems improbable that the Ohio government would just say, oh, you know, it's just, it's just a couple of hundred cases in this one university. We don't mind about that. And so, yeah, I, I still think there's may, maybe we'll begin with classes, but I think there's still uh, a significant risk that we will get shut down within a couple of weeks, within you know, three or four. You know, and I, I have to, uh, I really agree with that, David, because I mean, it's already a big enough step and kind of took Alex and I by surprise a little bit, I think, um, you know, even beside this bet stuff, I think everybody is, is, I think everybody is substantially surprised that father Dave is opening because, you know, just looking around, especially where I'm at and, you know, each state is different. There's, you know, different amount of cases. California has a lot, but, you know, I think everybody was kind of taken by surprise that he's opening. And I was so thankful and because yeah. I'm returning, I'm, I'm not going to be a returning student, but I'll be coming back and working for the university for athletics. But right now it's kind of <laughs> up in the air. But um, so my question is, though, is how. Because like we stated earlier, we are able if the students are able to effectively follow the rules, I think that obviously there will be less of a risk of coronavirus on campus. To me, it doesn't seem crazy that there will be a case on campus like sometime throughout the semester. I don't think that's a long shot, but I mean, what is it going to look like if we're all sent back home in the middle of the semester? That would suck. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, hopefully we'll get a little more warning than we did this past semester where everyone went merrily on their way at spring break. Mm. Only to discover that they hadn't had any opportunity to say goodbye to any of their friends, um, which was really devastating. I think, especially, I mean, for you guys talking to a couple of graduated alumni, alumni, but you know, uh, especially for the seniors. I mean, they just they just had the rug pulled out from under their feet by the government, you know, which began shutting places down left, right, and center. But I, I do hope if it does happen, we'll get a little bit of warning, maybe even if it's only a few days. But I, I see to, you say, Kellen, though, it's, um, that it's possible, not a long shot, that we get a case on campus. I mean, I think there's a you know, 70, 80% likely, uh, likelihood that we'll get dozens of cases on campus. You know, I, I think. And the thing is, once, it, once COVID shows up, it's it's just going to spread, especially among especially, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Especially if it shows up a couple of weeks in, because mm. I really, I really can't in my mind imagine people following these rules rigidly for a semester. I think as the days, as the weeks, and the, especially the days, you know, the days go by, people are going to get more and more relaxed about the whole thing. Um, like I said, it's, you know, like, but the, the present good now versus the vague threat of closure in the future. You know, I've, I've grown in 
mad respect for Father Dave because he's he's a very smart guy, and I like what you pointed to with his optimism in the reopening. Here's my mm-hmm. conspiratorial take, as always. All right. Um, I thought the step in faith thing where you're offering free tuition was brilliant. I thought it was a great mm-hmm. idea because it get, it got great press. Like people talked about Franciscan just because of that. It got yeah. record number of enrollment. Now at the time, <laughs> I was saying that's I, I was saying it's it's brilliant because a lot of people are going to be economically hit, and so you get them in for the first semester. It's like offering a fifteen percent off sale, right? On a yeah. on a whole you know education which is going to cost a lot. You just give them a fifteen percent off now, so you get enrollment up, and that offsets by volume. So I was like, great business decision, and it also makes you look good. Now at this point in time, here's my conspiratorial with getting students back in, and you're talking about possibly sending students back. Um, on campus, they got a lot of rooms, and they pay for those rooms. And there could be people who either pay for those rooms or don't pay for those rooms, right? That's a lot of money. I mean, that's a ton of. I mean, what what is it, twenty five hundred or something for a semester? It's it's ridiculous. Well, like it's very expensive, but. If you have 3,000 people paying 2,500, that's what, like 6 million? Wait, wait. Math. It's like, <laughs> like 6 million or something, right? I have no clue, but yeah. Guys in chat, do, do math. Want this peanut? Can eat you while you magnificent bastards. Good to see you, want this peanut. <laughs> do some math for us. 2,000 times 3,000. It's like, yeah, that's like 6 million. We are not right? math. <laughs> Shut up. We, this is, so that's like $6 million. That. That's $6 million sitting on the table. That you could either you know get or not. If you if you have them there, even for like half a semester or whatever, you're getting that six million. And then if you have to shut down, you have to shut down. But at least you'll have that money. You know, if, if there's a possibility of you having that money, and like that's that's a big difference. Um, and and you know it's optimistic. But I think uh, like you were saying, people will spread this <laughs> once they show up. And so the the possibility is always there. Um, but yeah, it, it's an optimistic move. If they came out right away and said, we're not going to have, you know, don't come back and we're having online, they lose the money. And I think a significant number of people would drop out if they couldn't be at Franciscan. I think a very significant I'm, number. Yeah. I mean, this, this keeps myself, rolling, like, you know? yeah, no, I was planning on, I mean, I'm double majoring right now and I'm basically done with my, my first degree and I've got a year left for my second. I was just going to drop my second if we went online again. Hmm. because would you still do that let's say a week goes by it's all online you've already somewhat paid for the semester would you say i'm not going to do it not going to pay the rest so do you mean if if uh we go in for a week and then everything goes online yeah and then they say everything goes online if i if i if they go online before the withdrawal period uh and they go online for the rest of the semester yeah, I would, I would, I would drop and just graduate because at this point it's not worth it to me. You know, like for my second major, I've got a thesis left. I've got some some great classes on Catholicism and modernity, but you know, some kind of intense classes. And you know, I don't think I've I don't think I've met a single student who thrives in online class. I've met I've met I've met several who survive. I don't think I've met any who thrive. Oh, yeah, and I can sucks. <laughs> attest to my experience that I, my, if you compare the David before spring break with David after spring break, and it's not just a difference of where we're at in the semester, just my attention, my, you know, uh, my quality of work, 
uh, how much I learned, just the everything plummeted in the second half of the semester. Because I just, you know, when when you don't have the structure, when you don't have you know, the incentives, when, you, when you're not sort of surrounding yourself with the academic environment. I mean, obviously, one should pursue it for its own sake, despite any obstacle, the academic life. But I think realistically, if you're trying to have people be full-time online, they're just not going to do it. And then I went home and just started drinking whiskey. Uh, I don't know if that's good for uh, student success, but that's what I started doing when I got home. There we go. There we go. <laughs> We're going to take yeah, a quick yeah. break. We're going to be right back. Don't go anywhere. We are back. Welcome to Kellen and Alex Show, part two, the shortest break in broadcasting history. So Kellen is our resident doctor for today, uh, sitting in a, a waiting room. Could that possibly have been a room where a COVID patient was? Oh, yeah, probably. There's probably been, <laughs> there's probably been COVID in here, probably. Who cares? <laughs> I'm not going to live my life in fear, man. My parents have seen somebody with COVID, I'm sure. I don't know. But you know what? There we Dude, go. Living on the edge, Kellen. Dude, screw COVID. I'm living on the edge, man. I don't care. I went this past weekend. I went to Yosemite area. I was with big gatherings. You know, wore my mask. But like, you said there's a lot of people there, right? Fishing. Like it was pretty stacked. It was stacked. There's a lot of people there. We had a condo, actually, which was really cool. Um. But yeah, uh, you know, right when to kind of resume from our where we left off, right when uh, COVID hit, David, guess where I went for spring break? Did you go to somewhere like Florida or New York City? I went to Florida, but I went on a cruise through the Caribbean <laughs> on a cruise wow. ship. <laughs> you went on a cruise ship. So we go throughout the week. It was amazing. We get off. We learned like a couple of days later that three people tested positive. Uh, and so <laughs> it was pretty crazy. That was the last cruise ship for this year and canceled like through next year. And while we were on the beach and we got back, we started slowly seeing all the cruise ships come out into the bay uh, because it costs like, I think like, couple hundred thousand dollars a day just to park them there and they weren't you know they're not going to park them there if or like because they cancel all their their um their tours so it just brought them out into the bay because <laughs> like if we're going to park it here it's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars each time <laughs> then they sunk them all find some place. <laughs> yeah, 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 no yeah. one's going to come on a cruise ship ever again no. <laughs> oh, there's just uh, hundreds of empty cruise ships sailing around, around the Caribbean. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, just this is something that I think comes around once every hundred years in a lifetime. I have to say, last time we really saw something like this was nineteen and eight nineteen eighteen with the Spanish flu, which killed two percent of the world. Um, and so, COVID now coming back. I was really ticked off when I heard it, that the rest of my semester was going to be canceled. I was like, yeah. this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen. I mean, you could have died. I mean, I, what if you got COVID? That on the that's worse. That would have been worse. <laughs> but I felt like I died inside when school got canceled. I was like, now I'm going to have to drive all the way home for this crap. By the way, Alex, thank you for, uh, you know, keeping me awake that one time. He called me while I was like in, near San Diego area because I was driving for you like You should have just stopped in San Diego. I don't I don't know why you <laughs> decided you drove something like 20 hours in a day or something like that by hours. yourself. By yourself, drove, by the way. I drove 22 and a half hours straight. I left at 4:30 a.m. that morning and got back at 3:30 the next morning. 
because I wanted to get home. I was like, just screw this, man. Everything's going wrong right now. I just want to get home. So I got home, filled up like five times, which was money. It's a lot of money, but whatever. I got home. I should have just stopped in San Diego with Alex. There we go. You know, in in all of this COVID talk, we've talked about this stuff for since March. I was listening, by the way, guys, we are now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Podbeam, wherever you get podcasts, you can listen to to us and all the old episodes. So uh, we have a Corona podcast from March 5th where we were actually in person in the radio lab where you cannot possibly socially distance yourself because you are, it is the smallest (laughs) little room. It looks about like a closet. Um, Closet. We need like a, a huge studio, you know what I mean? That'd be, that'd be epic. We uh, can but petition anyways. for the, you know, petition for the university to pitch in, you know, $30 million and we can get new stuff. But That's right. All the money they get from people showing up, $6 million, we, uh, <laughs> we pour into that. But anyways, we we did, we've been talking about this crap for, well, it, it's because there's like, there, there had been nothing else to talk about. And when the Black Lives Matter stuff came up, <laughs> that was like, oh, we have something to talk about. And we have something to talk about. There we and, go. Um, but yeah, everyone's just totally sick of it. When when I'm talking about reopenings and stuff, I'm like kind of like predicting this is what I think will happen with administrators and stuff. What I want to happen is completely the opposite. I I think all the shutdowns we should just accept that until we get a vaccine, just allow people to take their own risk. You know, if students want to show up to campus and do do their thing, then let them. And you can say these are things that will help you um, mitigate spread of wear a mask or whatever. But the rules, like you said, they're they're going to be broken. When you come to college and you have 3,000 college-age students together, they're going to get together and go to mass and they're going to you know, be talking in the JC. And like all these things are um, they're niceties and they're, they're put up to uh, you know, save face with administrators and stuff. Well, we told them to socially distance. Well, we set up a freaking tent outside of the JC to have them talk, <laughs> right? Did you hear about this? <laughs> I did. They're going yeah, yeah. to be tents. And it's just like this... And well, it's no, like I you're saying, it's one third of the Franciscan experience and uh, people are going to try and make it the most Franciscan experience they can. They're not going to just waste a semester. You're saying. I think the funniest thing, Alex, that has to be said is they're uh, talking about trying to put the beds, you know, six feet oh, apart. No. Them. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. Oh my gosh. Heard on the street, and this is this is unconfirmed. Sources close to the president have have uh, said that they're going to get roommates to stagger when they get up and like get changed. You know, when you go to brush your teeth. So, uh, what? What? <laughs> oh man! You know what else they're doing? Yeah. Is they're they're Father Dave? We're renting out the Super Eight. Oh like, really? Right there, yeah. We're all the rooms. And then, yeah. yeah, we're getting all the rooms for the, because the Austrian semester got canceled, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. all those 300 students or whatever are coming back to campus. So we're adding like 300 students. Plus a hundred extra for the, I mean, I think the, the new freshman class is about a hundred more than they've been in the past, or at least 70. So Record attendance plus, record attendance. A rec, you know, Austria students like all these new students and okay how about let's talk about those new students like what is their initial impression of franciscan going to be at one third the experience like at full capacity it was hard for me to justify being in student bill at when it was fully kicking the first year sucked 
But um, <laughs> yeah, what do you think their experience is going to be as a as a new freshman? Which you know we may have some freshmen who are watching now. So, no. <laughs> well, I mean, what I would say to them if I could talk to them is I'd say, "Gosh, yeah, just like be gracious, you know, like just give it the benefit of the doubt because it's going to be." a very un-Franciscan experience, unfortunately. However, optimistically, we try to pitch it. But yeah, I mean, gosh, you know, like what really, and I, I am, I'm speaking to someone, obviously, you know, I live in Steubenville, so I've got very used to a lot of Franciscan, but I mean, the majority of my life I, I spent in a very non-Catholic kind of rural town in England, right? And where, you know, it's, you, you definitely wouldn't, were not surrounded by by young people with a vibrant faith who were really just kind of on fire for the Lord, had great ambitions for the world, like we're just really set out to like, you know, recognizing this is our time, we're gonna make a difference. And which is all the vibe you get at Franciscan. And so, you know, coming to Franciscan, like it's there are there are other far more prestigious schools that you could go to for an for an education, right? But but for the formation, I I truly believe Franciscan is is virtually unparalleled. I really I, I can say that honestly. Like I have such a love for the thing, and again, so much of that is is the relationships you form, the friendships that they're like. I just I just have a confidence that the people I'm friends with now I will know for the rest of my life. Um, and, and they will be the people who are really encouraging me, you know, as a lay person in the church to like, stay true to the faith, to, to be fighting for the faith. Um, and, and so I think it will be, um, a, an un-Franciscan Franciscan that the freshmen are introduced to, unfortunately. And I really do think that, again, what's going to happen inevitably is there's going to be uh, a pushing of socializing to the exterior. It's going to be pushed off campus. And what that's really going to do is it's going to make it really hard. I, I, you know, just because I, I guess I'm just, I'm just worried that people are really going to find they don't have a strong communal life with people because all the social socializing they can do is off campus. And that's inevitably in, you know, small numbers. And um, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely worried that the, the freshmen will just not have a very positive experience. Uh, well, you know, the Vegas biggest are, thing, thank you for the follow. Yeah. Go ahead, Gal. The biggest, you know, the biggest thing is this semester is going to be very, very strange. And if we, you know, if it lasts the entire time, if we're there for the full semester, it's going to be very, very strange, and it's going to continue to get more strange, I think, as it goes down the stretch. Thing is, is, you know, for the incoming freshmen, guys, it's going to suck a little bit because it's going to be like, you know, I heard about Franciscan. I heard about the community here. David, you're right. It's going to be pushed off campus. I'm going to be living off campus with some other guys. And um, I think that maybe we can do something to – you know, bring those students off campus and like get together in houses or, you know, and like try to build a community off campus somehow, you know, within by, you know, trying be the to bad be safe boys, with taking that. it off campus, not obeying Father Dave's well, put a board in that, between your beds I mean, type stuff. It's not that you're not obeying Father Dave. It's that you're just trying to find more methods to get the freshmen together. Although, look, 
how many people are going to be there now? What there's usually 3000, right? And then there's going to be an extra 300 or so because of yeah, of, something like that. So there's going to be like 3300 students there. That's going to be a lot of people more than we're used to seeing. So it's going to be imperative for us to I mean Alex, you're going to be back there, right? I guess so. Yeah, he's coming so, back. <laughs> David, you're going to be there cuz you live there. Um, yes, I will. So it's going to be up to us. Oh, you're you're going to be a senior, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be up to us, you know, to kind of bring that younger community together. So, you know, they can come and witness Franciscan life, even though you said it's going to be probably the most un-Franciscan Franciscan life. Well, just protest. You know, we should, we should protest mass. We're going to be protesting. Outside Christ the King. There we Outside go. CTK. You could write it. We could write a gauntlet article on it. Mask but, sucks. You know, That'd be the headline. But, the biggest thing for me is, you know, the biggest thing that I want to happen for the incoming students is for them to have a greater sense of gratitude. You know what I mean? That we're able to stay open. I mean, it's, he's taking s- such a big step here to keep the university open. How It'd far is that gratitude going to go though? If they shut down online classes? Well, if they I shut mean, down, I mean, yeah, if they shut it down, then it's going to suck, but at least they'll have, they'll be able to come on campus for their first semester for a little bit. You know what I mean? Even if you have to wear masks, it's going to look so weird seeing like all the students <laughs> wearing masks. It's going to be such a, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to recognize anybody. Flim suggested making household masks. Like you, you make all like, like a martyr's household mask or a, yeah. you guys, guys' mask is just straight red. Straight there we red, go. Red, yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight red. I like it. By the way, viewers, if you want to join in on the discussion, you can uh, type some stuff on Twitch chat and I am watching. Take questions for our guest, our esteemed guest, Mr. Willie. Um, yeah, so I don't know. This is going to be, yeah, I, graciousness, and you pointed to gratitude as well. Um, but I mean, for me, is when I was a freshman in the fall, I was seriously like, why did I sign up for this? It sucks. Because, <laughs> you know, it's a new experience, and um, it's it's tough making friends for the first time and tough getting into classes and getting, getting into a groove. Um, but yeah, I wonder how much you know, how long this can go on for, um, in-person classes or I don't know. So and it's, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. It is. Don't get me wrong, Colin, because I, I completely agree with you about the, the spirit of gratitude that we really should have and that we really should try and, and pass on to the incoming freshmen because it really is such a great thing that we are going to be open you know, maybe, maybe a lot of what I'm lamenting is the inevitable fact that it just won't, that a lot of the communal life that we have, we will have to have almost at the expense of following some of the guidelines. Because as Alex was saying, if we choose to bring stuff off campus, just because we can't have it on campus, we'll still be breaking the spirit of the law, even if it's not the letter of the law. But I mean, again, like you say, I think we really should be grateful. What what kind of blows my mind, uh, and this kind of ties into what you said a little while ago, Alex, about about the fact that there is this monochromatic approach uh, to saying everyone wear masks or everyone stay at home, or and and not recognizing the element of okay, you know, if you choose to go out or if you choose to go to university then you can but you don't have to the choice is yours 
what's what's really bizarre is that there does seem to almost be, and I I I can only put it down to technology, really. That there seems to be this attitude that because of all the blessings of technology that we have today, that we don't need physical reality, really. Like, well, you saw that with the church and the sacraments. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. I, Look, you can just watch mass online. I mean, you don't you don't need to go to mass on Sunday. Like, you can just take classes online. You don't need to be in person classes or on campus. You can buy things on Amazon. Why do you need to go to a store? You can do a Zoom birthday call. You can do a you can Zoom, do a Zoom you know, Ellen and Alex show. It's just the same. Calendar. It's just the same. It's definitely yeah, not. Yeah. It's definitely not. It's way better in person. All right, but way it's still in a big auditorium, crowded. Everyone cheering. No, um, but yeah, you know, you uh, you don't need to go to a bar. You can just drink over Skype, you know, with your friends. You know, it's just, I mean, it. I don't. I mean, I, it's almost it's like it's almost like a form of gnosticism or something that we just think we we've lost the need for physical reality. That as long as everything is virtue, everything virtual is real, which is you know, it's a contradiction in terms, but. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and it's true. And, and you know, what's interesting is the reason why we come to university. Okay. Franciscan, we want to also, you know, we want to have the religious part within us. We want to, you know, go to mass. We want to have all these talks that we have and everything. But the primary reason why we go to Franciscan is because we want to get our degree. We want to be yeah. properly educated and we want to have our degree in what we are studying. That should be our primary goal. Religion is secondary. And I hope that doesn't sound harsh, but it's just the truth that we come to university, we're paying 40 grand a year because I want to get my good, I want to get a good degree in communications, you know? And so it's important to recognize that even though, you know, we are, you know, online and it's all virtual and things like that, we've lost, like you said, that kind of need to go, but it's important for us to rec- realize that our education is top priority here. And, you know, learning about what we have, you know, at the university, all the things that we're given, you know, all these talks, the Veritas debates, by the way, are those going to be happening? I don't know. We got um, it. We got hopefully it. those will happen. But I mean, know, is it even Franciscan if there aren't the mocks debate? Super true. You know, you know, religion should be secondary. Our education should be first. And I mean, we are we can properly integrate that. Well, that's what I'm saying. But primarily our education. Now, if now if you're getting a degree in like philosophy or theology or something like that, obviously you're going to incorporate your religion into that. But as a communications degree, like, you know, every degree learns a certain extent about how we should integrate Catholicism into that area of study. But what I'm saying is that we come to, you know, Franciscan to get our degree and we should just be thankful that we're even able to do that, even if it's not in person. And it sucks because I'm very, very extroverted and I want to see people and I want to be with people. But, you know, when I have to do online classes, I get so bored at home. Like, I don't know what to do. And on top of that, you know, I'm taking advanced radio and television classes. All my stuff is basically, how am I supposed to do that? I can't come into the studio and give, you know, a a newscast or a a cast. It's 3000 miles away from me. So like, (laughs) 
you know, know everything I just have submit to, do, to them the Kellen and Alex show and then submit to them like, the Kellen this Alex is show Pete and it'll be all broadcasting. Good. I mean we had a you know, we had a thing in chat, uh Dagastar said, Whatever happened to the my body, my choice argument from the pro choice people, and do you think it's valid to use when refusing to socially distance or wear a mask? <laughs> <laughs> great great question dig a star it's funny i don't know who asked that but i wanted to bring that up because isn't it fascinating that we live in an age of that that emphasizes absolute bodily autonomy in at least sexually but really in a lot of areas but then oh my gosh i mean you know they they say uh you know smoking cigarettes used to be the only the only sin or one of the few sins that everyone could agree upon in this society. But now wearing a mask is definitely second on the list because gosh, the way people, the way they expect, yeah, to be able to say that this is, that you absolutely have to socially distance, that you can't choose to mix with people um, who are all, now obviously, you know, if there's a person who is worried about Corona, who has these legitimate fears, and does want to be socially distanced, then it's just human decency and respect to do that. But it's almost like we're trying to mandate politeness, to mandate respect. Um, instead of just saying, look, if, if people want to socially distance, allow them to, but to try and both legally enforce it and morally to shame people because they don't want to do this, and and to to not recognize again this ties into this this replacement of the real with the virtual to not recognize that people have legitimate reasons for not wanting to wear masks and not wanting to socially distance. I mean, when you're talking to someone and you're covering half of your face, I mean, given the fact that that nonverbal communication amounts to over seventy percent of communication. Um. Well, they'll say they'll say it's well. You have to be compassionate for your fellow man, right? And and not you could possibly infect somebody, or you could get in and pass it on. So you should wear a mask. And I don't know if you saw there was a Republican. I can't remember if he was a congressman or something like that. He was like in his seventies, and he went to the Trump rally in Tulsa, and mm-hmm. did not wear a mask. He got coronavirus and he died. Like a oh. few, he died yesterday, I think. But wow. it, I was looking on Reddit. It was like super upvoted on Reddit and people were talking about it. And the headline was, um, this congressman dies of coronavirus, uh, didn't wear a mask or something like that. Like they're, they're, they're using it as, you know, you're not being compassionate for other people. And they're also, when people die of COVID, they'll blame it on not wearing a mask as if that was the reason why you got it and why you spread it. And so. But, and then, and then it's all this, um. Gosh, and you know, I want to be careful about talking about this because I really, I'm not a scientist. I really don't know all the ins and outs of this. But there's now a significant portion of people, right, saying Hy- Hy- hydroxychloroquine. That's the one. Yep. That is actually yep. really beneficial and does save lives. And there's a lot of testimony from, from doctors. And I mean, Callan, I don't know what your parents think about it, but there seems to at least be a minority consensus about the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine. And, and people are just dismissing it out of hand. They just say, oh, it's ridiculous. Like Ohio has recently banned the use of hydroxychloroquine in COVID treatments. And yet they're enforcing masks, which again, there's this debate about are masks effective? Um, 
So if you guys don't know what David's talking about, there was uh, recently, and I think you're referring to the the frontline American doctors, the ones that um, yeah. produced their yeah, yeah. So I, we, I really wanted to talk about this. Uh, yeah. yeah, they had they went to Capitol Hill, and there was a number of like five or six doctors from around the country uh, with a group called Frontline America, and they uh, their video was recorded by Breitbart. And they said, we are doctors that have prescribed hydroxychloroquine to coronavirus patients and have had successful treatment using it. And, um, and there was a doctor who said there was a, a, um, a publication in The Lancet, which is one of the most prestigious medical journals, um, that it was a study of the use of hydroxychloroquine. And they were saying uh, that study on that study from some Boston University um, that hydroxychloroquine is actually bad and it doesn't treat corona. Well, that one doctor and his team went through and looked through their data and found that the data was fabricated and actually didn't conclude anything. And they removed the the uh, the publication two weeks after. Now, here's the, the 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 part I was missing out of this that makes now makes sense. And Trump brought it brought it together with Big Pharma, and he posted on his Twitter about this. So there are a number of companies, and I've been following them: Moderna, uh, Pfizer, uh, Novavax. There's like tons of companies in the U.S. and around the world who are currently developing vaccines right, for, for coronavirus. Now, what would be the worst thing in the world for them uh, if there was an easy, cheap, effective treatment? Because the valuation on all of those companies has gone up billions of dollars because of corona. They went from being traded at like, so Pfizer was trading, I think at $35, it's now trading at like 60. They almost doubled in valuation in the, in the stock market because of that. Same with Moderna, same with everyone else. Now, hydroxychloroquine was developed like in the 70s, it's over the counter in Europe. And uh, if that is an effective treatment, all of those big pharma companies are going to lose billions of dollars overnight because then it's like you don't need to develop a vaccine as quickly anymore. So there's a vested interest. And then if you look at the Democrat Party, they obviously want Corona to be the worst possible because it looks bad on Trump. And this is an election year. So you have big pharma and Democrats who could very much benefit if hydroxychloroquine isn't a treatment. And you have a number of doctors who are saying, we've used it and it's a treatment. And then what happened right when they released that video? 17 million people saw it, retweeted it, posted it everywhere. Facebook removed it. Twitter yeah. removed it and banned Donald J. Trump's, uh, Donald Trump Jr., sorry. Donald Trump Jr.'s banned his account for 12 hours, deleted <laughs> actual Donald, Donald J. Trump Sr., deleted the president's tweet. And uh, and YouTube, you can't even you can't Google the video and you can't find it on YouTube. They removed all the videos on it. So tech, big pharma, and Democrats all don't want hydroxychloroquine to work. Have real money on the on the line. So I mean, this could be one of the biggest conspiracies out of this whole thing is them trying to silence hydroxychloroquine. And I'm not saying it it works or is effective or is the cure or something like that, but um, it's sure on my radar now. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think it can be, I don't think it can be a conspiracy to say, look at all this money that people might lose if this thing works. Yeah. Oh, but you know, they yeah. probably don't care. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a, you know, they're just doing Coke on yachts. Some billion you know. of dollars. Yeah. Think about Moderna. No, they're making so much money. Like I, they're making so much money. There are people who are making so much money off of Corona and you know, who's making the most tech companies. <laughs> tech companies have all Amazon is up 55% on the year. Yeah. That means pre-Kona they were trading at 1500, they're now today they released their earnings. They're trading at 3200 right now. 
That is billions of dollars that they've made because of this. Facebook, Twitter, I mean, anything online has all yeah. completely just skyrocketed to the moon um, because all of this, you know, uh, shutdowns, everything online. Well, and, and this is the, the really sad thing, I think. The, the, the thing that really, you know, that again, like, and I'm conscious I'm speaking, you know, as, a, as an immigrant or a foreigner or whatever, but something that really makes America great is it's, it's so pro-business, you know? And I think obviously you can take that too far with capitalism, but I do think America's great for really trying to promote small business. And, and you know, even though there can be tending that some, some industries can tend towards monopolies, they, there really is, America is a great place to get some out of this. And gosh, n- that is no longer true, is it? I mean, what we've seen with Corona is all big companies being allowed to stay open and thriving, all small companies being shut down. I mean, just in, um, I think it's just in California, or maybe it's California and New York, Combined, we've already seen 17,000 restaurants permanently close wow. their doors. And like seven, that's, you know, 17,000 families that have just been working. And like, you know, maybe some of them weren't great. I'm sure a lot of them were great businesses. And now they just, they never are going to get a chance to like survive, you know, because they've just been forcibly shut down. And all the places like Walmart and Roger, all these big companies are the ones which are being allowed to stay open and which are doing great, I'm sure, out of all of this. Um, gosh, it breaks your heart, you know, because, yeah, at the end of the day, the only thing that people are worried about is, is the preservation of physical life. Like, that's the only thing. And it's like there's no recognition. Like, it, as soon as you bring up well, you know, there's quality of life. There's you know, the fact that these people have spent years like building businesses, that people have this need to socialize, to be around each other. It, it, it really does feel like as soon as you try and bring something like that up, you're either accused of being shallow, of not caring about people's deaths, of not caring about old people, which I find be ludicrous coming from a you know society which is fine with euthanasia um gosh yes it really is it does break your heart like uh, beyond just the gdp you know the 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 big figures of you know well america's economy is dipped by i think it's 30 percent in quarter two um but like the nitty-gritty that's not it's not walmart that was affected or amazon you say or youtube it was just you know the restaurant down the street yeah, and you know it's it's sad that a lot of these small businesses have had to close. And personally, you know, a lot of you know some of my favorite restaurants have like closed. And you just look at it like really permanently. You think that they would be able to stay open, you know, or you know just temporarily close. But because maybe you know they're struggling already and they're having a lot of difficulty, that Corona is just going to put them out of the, you know put them through it. So you know. At the seat of America is the family, and you know the small business is what thrives, and so it's a it's just hard to you know say it's hard to say that these companies you know you have to go out of business. I mean, my parents literally they got like a hundred and eighty thousand dollar loan from the government that that they don't have to pay back. Uh, <clears throat> so it's, it's 
not really alone, but, um, and that allowed them to stay open. But, you know, it just comes to show you, I mean, think about all the people that are starting low and basically maybe just started their own uh, business. This guy right here, dad, welcome in. This guy's a doctor. He's a, that's my dad. Hey man, what's up? How much? Good to see you. How'd you guys figure that out? Uh, well, technology works, Dad. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. Hey man, what happened to the beard? <laughs> Dave did all off. It was uh, wow. My my sisters were really happy about that. They hated the beard, so really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely I mean, you, hated it. You look like you're about fifteen, bro. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I look exactly like I did in high school. So, oh my gosh, uh, many years ago, man. Yep. All right. All right. Just want to let you know, Kellen needs some golf lessons. Ooh. Golf, we I'm, golfing I'm down. Today. We've been golfing today. I whooped his butt. but uh, <laughs> uh, Dude, I, I have actually, not golfed yeah. in ages. I would love to golf. You got to come down to San Diego. We have Torrey Pines the, on, the, on the national tour on PGA. Along the court, along the coast, man. They got all the, you know, Pebble Beach, all those guys. Anyways, you know, so it's really sad to see these small businesses go, but at, you know, it's like, especially the people that are just starting and, you know, are just, you know, just really starting their business, you know, kick it into gear to have this come to them and just shut everything down. I mean, it's got to be the most depressing thing. Yeah. And it's really, truly sad because there's people that are trying to make a living. And, you know, you ask, why did this have to come right now? Just like I asked really right on my graduation in 2020. But, you know, I realized that I think one of the biggest things that I took out of this was I have so many things to be grateful for that I'm not going to whine that the rest of my, you know, semester got cut off. I mean, there's starving people all over the world that don't even know when their next meal is going to come. And I'm here complaining about, Oh, you know, I can't finish my last couple months at a university. So, you know, I, I don't, I just look at it in a way of progression. You know, I, I know this is going to get better, but right now we just got to go through the crap. and. Um, that's what we got to do. And Franciscan, the freshmen are going to have to learn that. And so. Yeah, get you used know, to it, freshmen. Uh, yeah. We love you guys, but, you know, this get is going to be a real test for them to, you know, see, you know, how they're going to adapt is going to be interesting. And, you know, just to see how everything goes. It should, everything should be back to normal, I hope, by spring semester. If, if Rona keeps going, it gets worse. This is not, that's not good. It's really not I mean, I that when it gets cold and people are inside, and you're not outside as time, much. You know, ha- David, have you ever had your hair freeze before? <laughs> <laughs> Cause that happened to me. That happened to me for the first time. I was walking up from Jay Sarah and my hair froze. I was like, wow. You, I was just thinking, Kellen, you used to have longer hair, didn't you? Oh, dude, I used to have a mullet. I was the only kid in my high school that had a mullet. It was like down to my shoulders down here. Didn't have, you know, it was weird. I I took it off. You know, I actually wore it. I had it, you know, through the first couple of years of Franciscan, but I learned that, you know, that's not very attractive to uh, to the ladies. So Dude, I, your I hair was epic. Why'd you you should have kept it. Well, yeah, I mean, I still, maybe I should have kept my beard too. I don't know. I can, you know, my hair grows really fast, so I can do it. <laughs> it's not the most uh, appealing. Feature. I think I, oh, I think this is right. That I, I'm trying to remember your hair, but I just remember being in the height. Callan, driving along and seeing you in your pink suit. Pink suit is the best. Uh, no. You know, I, I, 
wore that thing solely for the purpose of the men's homecoming basketball game, which they won 90 to 78 against Duval College. So that was good. And, you know, that suit was fun. It was a stupid little thing, but, you know, I figured it was only like 80 bucks. I got it online. So I was like, you know, I'll, I'll wear it for this game. And then it, you know, ripped. So it was like, eh, I'm going to throw this thing out anyways. <laughs> long, the long hair, the, the mullet, I think, is, is gone forever. I think the mullet has had its time. Rest in peace. So, guys, let's get to the real meat of this podcast. The real, the real heavy stuff, which is uh, the fact that Nation Clem are not going to really have their student government that they really uh, wanted. Aha, we got them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have our roast of their administration. Let's start right now. I'm ready. I hope they're I hope they're watching. Uh, otherwise we'll send it to them. So, they finally get in power, right? And now they're going to have a one-third semester. Anyways, what what do you think they're going to be able to do with this one-third of semester, this socially distant semester? What what do you think they're going to what things are they going to try? Um, angles well, are going to take to this. It's what happens when an Englishman takes an American drone. <laughs> it gets wrecked. I completely agree, Colin. Sorry, David. Like that? Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. Yeah. So, no. Um. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, what a what a semester that they've inherited, right? Uh, and I'm I I'm. On my good moments, I'm sure I'm sure they'll be up for the task. So, yeah. But uh, but no, it will be. I mean, I don't envy it of them, you know. If you think what is what does student government exist to do, and you know maybe nothing. That would <laughs> that would be my opinion. But no, no, no. But uh, no, student government, I guess, is really there just to try and facilitate student life to the greatest degree possible, and it primarily does that through promotion of clubs. And I guess certain legislation and distribution of funds. And essentially, there probably aren't going to be any clubs functioning. Um, at least any clubs that will be functioning will be functioning at minimal capacity. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys have already heard all the sports being cancelled. I think except for women's golf and men's tennis. So um, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be, we've spent the past hour talking about it. We're going to be a, a semester with, almost devoid of community life and so the role of student government will be proportionally limited i think um we're going to continue this roast in just a second we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back don't go anywhere and welcome back quickest break and broadcasting history so kellen and nash they're going to inherit this uh like like you said it's not an enviable position to be in um, but maybe there's some things they can do with it. Um, what would those be? <laughs> how how are they gonna? Yeah, how are they gonna do this? Like, what 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 is it gonna look like, David? What know, are coming they- from coming from a fellow Englishman? How is he gonna deal with this? Gosh, what a great question. Yeah, well, I think raising the British flag over the JC would be good. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe a uh, weekly afternoon tea. Also doing, uh... <laughs> I'm down for that. That actually sounds fun. Weekly tea. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Weekly well, afternoon I... tea. This is, is it has to be in the afternoon, not morning tea. Well, that, uh, that would that would be an abomination before the Lord. No, you, see, tell, tell me, you're asking me what I would do if I had been elected as president or vice president. You know, I mean, 
I'm sure if I had run, I would have beaten them. I don't have any doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. Who would have been your running mate? Me? Who been my running mate? Gosh. Well, you've got to go for, you know, you've got to go for someone really popular. Um, I feel like if I, you know, I'm obviously way more popular than Glamour Athanasius. Who oh. Combined, right? You know. oh. <laughs> <laughs> homeschoolers, if I don't so, it's not arrogance, it's truth. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah I would have chosen someone with the equal social charisma that I have, probably. You know. I don't know if there is an equal. I mean, who would you find? I mean, exactly, Alex. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Clem, yeah. You know, Clem and Nish, I think, honestly, I think for them, it's going to be big to try to keep the students engaged, but it's going to be super hard for them to do. I, don't, I really don't know what they're, what exactly they're going to steps they're going to take to do that because everything that they want to do. The steps in faith, but the steps Amen. in faith are like, the steps in faith are literally like each step is like a skyscraper. I mean, how are they going <laughs> to, how are they going to like, how are they going to do this? Everything's going to be in chaos probably. If yeah. students don't, if students don't follow stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if Clem and Nate just kind of hide in their homes and kind of like, you know, <laughs> just try to work stuff out from there. I don't know. Yeah. They're not going to want their image on campus if everybody's trashing them because <laughs> they're not doing anything. Yeah. No, that's a great, it's a great question though, because I mean, first of all, I think they, you know, they had a really killer plan given that COVID wasn't happening. I mean. I don't know if you guys were sort of familiar, I'm sure you were, with all their policies when they were running about, you know, organizing events on Sundays after mass with the family to try and create a more calming like atmosphere. Um, you, you know, like, you know, like increasing the, um, yeah, I don't know, they blanking <laughs> on all of their policies. But I remember thinking they were going to make Franciscan great again. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, and, they really did have some good ideas and most of their ideas I'm guessing will be, well, at least all of the ideas that involve people interacting with each other will be very difficult to implement now that <coughs> other labs interact with people on campus. That said, you know, I really think that something, I mean, something I admire tremendously about both Clement and Athanasius something that has really sort of drawn me into a friendship with them um, and really, really continued. I mean, because I, you know, Clement is kind of my longest and dearest friend in that I've known him since I was about eight years old. Um, Athanasius is the person I've actually, one of the first people I met when I was a girl. Um, the person I've known the longest in America. So these are, these are two guys who I, you know, really do count as close friends. And something I truly admire about them is is kind of their their drive and 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 joking aside, like their charisma and their ability to unite people and bring them together. And I think a perfect example of this is the campaign that they just launched. You know, the sort of one million Hail Marys campaign to try and get students coming together you know, preparing for the semester by fasting and by praying. Um, that was and, awesome. I really, yeah, that was awesome. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, um, 
well, like what a great way to try and help people prepare for the semester. And not only to prepare for the semester, but really, as you were saying, Kellen, to like have this spirit of gratitude and the spirit of Lord, you know, whatever it's going to look like, give us a semester, you know. And, and so I, I don't know. I, I didn't run because I'm not great at that kind of stuff. <clears throat> to have confidence that they'll, they'll make, they'll make the presence of student government really felt on campus in a very positive way, regardless of the restrictions that are put in place. Yeah. Yeah, they're awesome. I mean, we, we, we're, we're roasting them, but just because I think it's funny that it's come concurrent with their uh, their running. But this is, you know, it's an opportunity for them to. And, and I talked to them extensively about like no one knows about nor cares about the student government at Franciscan. Barely anybody does. And so if they really wanted to make a splash, then they should do just that and really try and change things up. And um, they're given a very unique opportunity with the circumstances and they're going to have to be creative um, with with what they do and already doing that million Hail Marys thing that that was awesome. I'm really glad that they're, um, you know, promoting prayer and fasting for the semester. And, you know, I know whatever they put their mind to, they're going to really uh, kick butt at it. So I, I'm excited to see what they, they end up thinking. But um, there's there's opportunity in all of this. And so I think that's what you guys are pointing to with with uh, being grateful and being gracious is. Um, we just got to be creative. And this is something that we talked to Carrie about last week with the church's response to Corona, shutting down masses and not having sacraments. The thing I was most frustrated about with all of it was the lack of creativity with trying to get the sacraments to the people. I, I understand you have elderly priests and it's a difficult time and you have to socially distance, but could we have done, you know, now masses are shut down in, in California in indoor, but you can have outdoor. So it's like, why didn't we try and have outdoor Easter Sunday mass originally? Why were why were we thinking, you know, why didn't the priest wear a mask, wear gloves, and try and distribute the Eucharist? And you could do like a drive through, you know, drive throughs remained remained open. You can go to drive through Starbucks. Like, can't we have drive through live stream the mass, then drive through Eucharist or something like yeah. that? Like, times of difficulty are times of you need to be creative. If, if you think something's worthwhile, you're going to make it happen, and that's what we've seen with these big businesses and stuff is they're allowed to remain open because money matters to them, right? So if the sacraments really matter to us, then we should have been more creative to try and get it to the people and still can be. And if Franciscan matters to us and um, having a Franciscan experience, we just had to be creative with making that possible. And, you know, David, what do you think about, you know, all the, do you think that, you know, Alex and I talked extensively on this, but do you think that the Catholic Church kind of cowered when it came to saying, oh, well, you know, we can't, uh, we can't do these masses because of these regulations or we can't do, could we, could the Catholic Church have done more, do you think, than what it did to kind of bring Christ to people and bring the Eucharist to people and hold masses and things like that. I mean, do you think that the Catholic church just didn't do a very good job um, with, with Corona? Gosh. Um, I, you know, I think it's maybe, it's definitely nuanced. I would say it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm no, I'm not a person who would just say, gosh, like, wow, our bishops suck. You know, like, what? Well, absolutely. Like I, 
I respect they were just dealt a really tough hand. <clears throat> I would say as well, you know, there's, there's, if we just think of all the, the modern context this is coming in, I mean, one of the greatest accusations against religion is, right, is that it hates or is anti-science. And I can imagine for a lot of these bishops and clergy, they were just thinking, God, if we, if we try and make a big stand on this, we'll just get slapped down with saying, oh, like, religious people don't really care about what the facts are or what the science is. Um, they just, so, you know, like, there, there really is sort of a lot, there was a lot of social pressure. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you phrase it like that, maybe that, in a certain sense, is a, is a definition of, of cowardice, is, is the ultimately, even for good reason, caving to, to social pressure. Because, right, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I liked how Alex framed it in terms of priorities, that all the, all the manifestations of social and cultural life are underpinned by the ideas that give them, that give them life, right? And so, and when you really test the society, you see which ideas drive it, and those ideas come to the surface. And one thing we've really seen is in, in this current time, which, again, has been an idea lying beneath the surface, um, but that this time is really brought out for us, is that it's this belief that essentially the secular is the real and religion is a choice, right? That, that's a, a defining idea of modernity. That, that the secular, like the here and now, everything going on in time that is controlled through power by the government, by society, that's, that's the real, that's reality, that's actual thing. And then things like, you know, going to Planet Fitness and doing yoga and fishing and going to maths, those are like the choices you make about the ways you spend your time. And you're free to do them under freedom of thought, freedom of association, freedom. You know, but sometimes you have to suspend freedoms for the greater good, you know, based on what's real. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, just to give it historical context, the banning by a government of religious worship is... I mean, almost absolutely unprecedented outside of times of war. I mean, the last time that I'm aware that, at least in England, that um, masses were publicly suspended was when cool, the Pope, which might have been Urban II, put England under interdict in the 1100s because of John the First. You know? So, I mean, this is something that hasn't happened in a thousand years. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I do think ultimately the clergy or the, the, the decision that was made to, to cancel public masses was a bad decision, but can we, can we blame the clergy for the fact that people have just been formed in this liberalist mindset? Um, no, I mean, I, I don't really think you can blame them because it's just, it's the air we breathe, isn't it? It's all around us. It dictates how we live every day. So. Right. Good point, yeah. I mean, for sure. And <clears throat> there were a lot of pressures and still, you know, we wish that, <clears throat> we always hope that the church can do the, be will do the best 
that it can for its, you know, for the lady. And so I think that, you know, in the next up, you know, in the upcoming months, hopefully, you know, Corona will get better and we'll see less and less restrictions. Obviously that's going to happen. Corona is not going to go on for forever, so it's going to get better. Um, but yeah, it's just, there, there's so many factors that go into it that put, you know, stress and, and, and tension on the church, but I don't know. When I went to mass last Sunday, there was a, I was talking with a buddy and I was like, can you imagine if this goes on until Christmas? Can you imagine Christmas mass socially distant outside with a mask? Like you were saying, Kellen, it may not go on forever, but it's very likely this will be around in Christmas, right? We gave up the Easter season. This is something like you were saying, the last time that they shut down masses was interdict during what, like, I don't know, John, I don't even, is that middle ages, whatever it was. 1200s yeah yeah 1200s so we volitionally gave up easter sunday we're going to be known as the catholics who gave up easter sunday and christians around the world who said it's better to stay at home than go to mass or gather together for easter sunday and pretty much the entire easter season and i understand it was a difficult circumstance whatever well as i said before the for me the thing that is most frustrating is not we were dealt a difficult hand. It was we were dealt a difficult hand and said sacraments uh, aren't really necessary. Virtual church is a good substitute. I didn't really see anyone, there wasn't really any vocal voice among the bishops or anyone else who were saying, um, let's let the people risk it for themselves. We're not going to send old priests out there. We're going to send younger priests. We're going to try and get you the sacraments. We're going to try and have mass. We're going to try and whatever. And we'll, you know, if we have to work with state guidelines, we'll do it. But if they conflict with us having public worship, then they'll conflict and come arrest us. There was no big movement to say, yeah, the Eucharist is necessary. Yeah, Mass is necessary. Yeah, Easter Sunday we is necessary. Like you're saying, there's secular goals, there's whatever. Our concern for the body does not outstrip our concern for the soul. And if that's true, then we would have seen, if like you were saying, it's the air we breathe that the body's the most important, apparently which is all our material world says to us and in Christianity saying to us, no, it's eternity. Um, yeah, I, I said it on stream. I think the church's response was shameful and that's my position on it. And, and I, I understand that they also, they're in the same weird predicament that father Dave's in. And I said this in the last podcast of, um, I think if one professor dies of COVID because of him reopening, he'll feel personally that he caused it. And I think likewise, if there are bishops or priests, who said, we're having mass, come if you risk it, and then they get COVID and die or someone else gets COVID and died, they're going to be lambasted by everybody in the media and the, everyone, and, and they're going to be seen as the bad guys who opened up. We're seeing it with these, that, that um, congressman who died the other day, didn't wear a mask. He took a chance. He got COVID and he died. Um, and it may not have even been from that chance. He may have got it some other way, but he's getting destroyed on media and all sorts of stuff. The bishops weren't willing to take that risk for giving us the sacraments and um i know it can be excused in this way or that way but i think it's i think it's shameful you know yeah i see what you're saying alex i will say you you said you know we will be remembered as as the catholic who who gave up math who surrendered the sacraments but what i would say you know because this this is um, something that's occurred to me before about the scandals as well, the, the um, sexual abuse scandals, that 
they actually know that the people of, I mean, unfortunately, of, of our parents' generation, um, they that they will be like, I'm, you know, that will be how they're remembered. But us, like me and you and Callum and and all of the people at Franciscan right now, like we're the ones rising up, right? And actually, we're the ones who get to affect the change. And like I think, because I I really struggled with. I mean, it, you know, just seeing everything that's gone on with with the abuse scandals and the cover-ups, gosh, it just like it makes you sick, you know. But it's like okay, you know, that's terrible, but that's happened. But like, that's not the church that we're gonna live in, and that we're gonna be really active members of, right? Because we're rising up, and God, I just think, wow, like. We just gotta be we've gotta feel empowered as lay or as you know people who are like you know you planning on going to seminary like like we're the the upcoming Catholics of tomorrow who are not gonna be remembered like that because we're gonna actually change change how the Catholic Church is perceived and how the Catholic Church acts. And I think something that's gonna make it easier is how hard it's getting for the church. I mean, you're saying, like you're saying, Callum, you know, COVID isn't gonna gonna last forever. Things will begin returning to normal. But gosh, like when we come out the other side of COVID, we're gonna be looking at a very different Catholic church. Because something I've just begun to become aware of recently is within the past few months, just how many dioceses have been declaring bankruptcy. Have been shutting down, firing all their diocesan staff. Um, like we're gonna see a skin and bones church coming out the other side of COVID. The Benedict Pop- option becoming real. Yeah, because a lot of it is because they're not getting tithes, right? And a huge part of it is how much money the church is bleeding to all the um, settlements that they're paying for the abuse scandals, which is now they're just beginning to pay, right? <laughs> being resolved and so yeah gosh i mean it will almost i mean there were there are times in the church where you you really feel the rawness of the faith it feels like gosh like we're back in the early church guys you know i mean in china right now i'm sure that's exactly how they feel with sort of this sort of this weird fusion between the this state church and the underground church which is sort of being forced by the vatican to join um, the state church, but like, gosh, these people must, the, the poor Catholics in China must be really kind of feeling this conflict, but, you know, there have always been times of suffering and persecution, and and I think we're going to be kind of feeling a little bit of that um, in the next few years because of how much the church is kind of shrinking, and because of all the sort of then external secular pressures. But I know it's kind of empowering in a way, isn't it? It's exciting. You do have an optimistic note, (laughs) David, on most things. It's great. It's good. Yeah. Well, that's what we need, right? We need people with optimism. The Kellen and Alex show, we strive for 100% of optimism. We don't always get there. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly because of me. (laughs) Both of us. Kellen, some of the best moments were your motivational speeches. Maybe we need (laughs) another one of those. David, if you haven't seen Kellen's motivational speeches, he used to rally up the, uh, what, the basketball guys, right? 
Yeah, I'd give him hype speeches before games. Hype you know. speeches, yeah. You got to be optimistic. You're not going to be like, well, you guys kind of suck, but uh, these guys are better than you. Um, <laughs> suck, your best, I guess. I don't know. Go out there and take them out. But, you know, look, I mean, the Catholic Church, right? The one true and saving church, right? That's who we yeah. are. But we have to execute as citizens of the church. You know what I mean? We have to do our part. We may disagree with things. We've talked extensively, probably, what was this, a year ago about the Amazon Synod? How we are, you know, disagree strongly with Pope Francis on everything that happened there. But I think, you know, on the major level and on the smaller level, smaller level being Franciscan, we have to kind of exercise a, you know, that spirit of gratitude, but also a spirit of obedience to what's going to happen. And what I mean to say by that is we don't know if we're going to be there for the whole semester and we can't go in there with the attitude. Oh, you know, we're probably going to be sent home. This semester is going to suck anyways. My first semester, we can't really have that. We need to have a sense of gratitude, but also obedience to what will happen. Because if we are prepared to be obedient to what happens, we will be less shocked in a way that, you know, if the worst comes to worse and we're sent home. So I think it's important for us as, you know, students and and graduates to come back there with, you know, a sense of gratitude, but also a sense of obedience to, you know, Father Dave, who's the president of our university to his guidelines, you know, and and just everything that's going to go on, we have to accept will go on and whatever is going to happen is going to happen and we can't do anything about it. I personally thought COVID was going to be done like months ago. I thought it was, you know, not going to be that long. It surged in the past like two weeks in places in California. I'm like, you know, what's going on here? It's a bold move by Father Dave. Shows his grit and his zeal. He's a great guy. I have mad respect for him. David, I want to get to the gauntlet. The The most well-read, most well-written publication at Franciscan University. Of which you are the founder and editor-in-chief. Yes. Yeah, gosh. It's been a wild ride with the Gorn, I can tell you, because I don't think I really went into, never really thought about starting something when I started at Franciscan, starting a publication. But yeah, started at my sophomore year. Uh, right at the beginning, I kind of, well, planned it sort of the summer before. Um, started at beginning of my sophomore year and yeah, it was for someone like me who, you know, gosh, struggles with consistency is a, maybe a flattering way of putting it for myself. You know, we publish every week and we've done so for the past, yeah, two years. So um, it's the third year, it's pretty exciting. So I'm actually, because um, I have my thesis coming up and it'll be quite an academically challenging semester, I'm actually going to be stepping down as editor-in-chief um, but I'll still be keeping a strong paternal eye on, on the future of the gauntlet. And, uh, Who's stepping so, in as editor? Um, well, yeah, that's still, we're still sorting it out because, um, <clears throat> Teresa Bova, Teresa Bova. Yeah. Teresa. She, so she writes, uh, she's writing for us. Is it? She's a columnist. She's a, uh, she's a satire professional. <laughs> she's hilarious. Yeah. Her satire is some of those fun. <laughs> I mean, She's one of the funniest people I've ever. ever oh my met. gosh! Do you like? 
do you like doing all that editing for the gauntlet? I mean, you know, is it just something you like to do? Gosh, you know, it really is, Callum, because I'm, I've never thought of myself as like, well, I'm not really like a grammar person or like, a, oh, you missed a comma there. You know, it's, a, <laughs> it's a, not a coordinated conjunction. You know, I'm not I'm not really that type of person on the whole. But a lot of so. So, yeah, so there's there's sort of the administrative element with with editing where you have to make sure the gauntlet's printed and you have to make sure it's distributed and you have to make sure there are people who are going to write for you. And you've got to know who's doing the, the formatting. And, um, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of sort of like moving logistical pieces. But also what's great fun about the gauntlet is, you know, whenever we have someone writing an article, uh, myself and or Lydia, um, my excellent assistant editor, without whom the gauntlet would never have come into being, or survive um we'll sit down with the writers and we'll just like hash out their ideas and kind of talk them through like okay like well what's the question you're asking and and how are you going to go about organizing your thoughts because a lot of people will kind of come to you and say you know i really want to i just want to write about the way gosh, people are just really stuck up in their households and they don't socialize with other people or, gosh i really want to write about you know how much i hate the music at Christ the King, or I really want to write about how much I love the friars on campus and Father Nathan, you know, like whatever you're going to have, you know, people just come to you and they've kind of got this like, oh, there's, there's this thing I want to write about, but you then you kind of tease out of them, okay, well, like, what's your question? Like, what problem are you trying to solve? And, and what, you know, because I always insist on, on a few things, uh, like it's got to be like, what's your campus problem? Like, What's the thing on campus you see that you really want to talk about? Because I see a lot of people really interested in, uh, and that's why what the gadfly was really about, um, you know, like, uh, like let's talk about yeah, how much I hate Donald Trump, or like, let's talk about what's going on in the Chinese Catholic Church, you know, like these, these kind of big issues. And so I always say, no, like, let, let's talk about campus. Like, what's your campus issue? And, and how is it practical? Like when someone's read the gauntlet and we keep the articles very short, like I want them to put down the gauntlet and walk away and say, gosh, like I can change my behavior on campus. Like I can do something differently now. Like I've read this and either I really disagreed or it just hit me and I was like, wow, like now I can live differently in my campus community. Um, and it yeah, really affected yeah. discussion at campus. Like I would, I, Monday would hit, I'd get my, was it Monday or Tuesday? I can't remember, but I'd get, Monday. I'd see the orange papers out there and I'd be like, yes, time to read the gauntlet. Yeah, I get my cup of coffee, go out and read them. And then, you know, and it's yeah, like you said, it's short. It's something that it's, it, it fits perfectly with a college student's like reading ability. You know, it's just, yeah. you pick it up, you read it real <laughs> quick, you flip it over, you say, oh, that was nice. And you set it down. And, and just that alone, you, like you said, you picked it up and um, like who reads the troop? No one reads the troop. Okay. It, it needs to be, it's a waste of paper. It's oh, not eco-friendly. I mean, the gauntlet is eco-friendly. One sheet. Yeah. It's colored. It's colorful. I mean, you're excited to see it. It has a striking headline. It's well formatted. The satire is on point. So anyways, it's, it's always a blast and, and it all, it sparks discussion. Like after I, I'll hear people as I'm walking by in Egan talking about the specific issue that the person was talking about. The one, um, 
Well, the one I go back to is the John Mark and Bruce back and forth on traditionalism and uh, oh, yeah. charismatic stuff. That caused so many people to talk about the issue. And um, for, for better or worse, you've mentioned that they weren't that well written. And it's probably probably true. Uh, but at least it it sparked the discussion. And it's kind of one of the things like the dumb oxidates too is you can't address the whole issue. You just give them a little snippet, you know. Talk about that. You talk about that, and it sparks so much discussion. Um, yeah. Well, please. Why? I want to know about those two articles, though. As many people read those. Yeah. Well, I was actually in Austria at the time, so I um, I wasn't involved in the uh, the discussion process, or um, I didn't even really know that they'd been arrested until a couple of weeks after the fact. Because when I was in Austria, I kind of just. I I neglected to follow campus life fully. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think maybe part of it for me is, gosh, it's it's um. I I ran into a chap recently who um, kind of knows me as the editor of the Gauntlet, and I was like, oh hey, hey how's it going? And he's like, oh yes, uh, the editor of the provocative rag on campus. I was like, oh, well, <laughs> thank you. I mean, you know, and I was like, I was like, you know, I mean, I was like, I hope we tried, you know, the goal that it doesn't set out to just be provocative. Because mm. uh, I think it's really important to try, like, we try to build up campus life. But yeah, you know, I was like, okay, I accept that. Like, I accept that we try to be provocative in the sense of provoking the conversation. We're trying to push, like, you know, push buttons. But like in a way that, as you say, gets people talking about campus life. I think maybe part of my concern is the traditional and charismatic debate has already been had in large part on campus. And so um, you can't really cover new ground in a short article. Because a lot of our articles have honestly been on topics which like I'd like to think that often we try and get out ahead of the curve with the gauntlet. Like we'll try and like when when anything big happens on campus, we try and hit the ground running with like our response to it, or we just bring up conversations which people aren't having uh, and try and bring those to the forefront. The charismatic and traditional, it's been hashed back so many times, backwards and forwards. It's like it's the reason we haven't done an article on modesty yet. And it's not that you couldn't have a great article on modesty. But people are so entrenched in their positions, they've already shouted at each other about it. And trying to articulate a fleshed out point in the one page, it doesn't really happen. And so with the, with the traditional charismatic articles, ultimately I felt they, they pushed all the buttons without necessarily contributing anything. Hmm. Except maybe even more extreme forms of what's already been said, like Bruce saying that uh, Franciscan should now finally let go of any charismatic, romantic attachment, nostalgic attachment that it has. Franciscan's known for, I mean, for its charismatic stuff. I mean, that's like, that's the thing that sets us apart is, you know, the charism. Exactly. You Obviously, people have varying opinions about the FOPs, right? The Festival of Praises, all the, the care, you know, charismatic stuff that goes on there. And that's fine. You know what I mean? That's, that's good that we have differing views. I think that it's good for the gauntlet, like you said, to kind of push some buttons, but 
not in a way that's trying to, not in a way that would, you, you know, de-escalate the, the conversation. If you do, like, if you do this, it's going to not make people want to talk about it. It's, you guys do such a good job of pushing those buttons, but making the talk go further. And so I think that's something that's really important. Student life, I feel like we really need to read more <laughs> because if we all read, just like if you guys all watched the Cal and Alex show, you would be transformed. If you guys all read, if you guys all read the all read the Gauntlet, you guys would be even more transformed. You I you mean, wouldn't even on. think it's possible, but it's true. It's true. It's spitting truth in your face, which is what we need. Okay, that's the new that's the new motto: spitting truth. But here's the thing: <laughs> you gotta have you gotta have precision in these things. You gotta have accuracy. You gotta have direction. And I think that's something that the gauntlet does really well. Takes specific issues, articulates them in a way that, you know, pushes conversation forward, which is something really good. The Veritas Society has complete, ever since that came in, that changed campus. I mean, literally. 100%. The, what was our biggest debate? The praise and worship one? No, actually. The biggest debate was the modest debate. Three hundred. 50 people. Oh my gosh. Okay. Those two dollars raised. Yeah. Those two debates were just people come and they want to know. People want to know things. They want to gain information. That's why we do this stuff. And that's something that the Gauntlet and the Veritas Society does very well is provoking these things in a good, orderly mannered way, but also, you know, allows people to come in and visualize. People these days, we need to visualize things more. You know what I mean? We need to come in and see people in action. So that we are able to fully articulate what is going on. And yeah, if I can just add to that, Kellen, what I what and because this was this was really like the the driving idea behind the gauntlet for me. The reason I started it in the first place is I feel yeah, it's so easy to to live our lives where the issues we care about most are issues that don't affect us at all, right? Um, and so, like a great example would be. You know, people who really, really like, really follow like politics on the national stage, which is great. You know, good for them. Like, I think politics is really important. I think everyone should be informed. But at the end of the day, whoever's in the White House or whatever is not actually going to affect your daily life in a huge degree. Um, or like really caring about a lot of these things, or just on the on the on the national international stage, or like celebrities or what netflix is doing or whatever this this isn't what what really affects us is the thing which happens locally the thing that in our community right um like that's that's the thing that every morning that you get up that's that's what hits you in the face and and i really wanted to start the gauntlet because i thought like i want us to perfect our way of living locally because only when we learn to live well in our community of Franciscan, where, you know, better on, whether we like it or not, these are the people we're like stuck with for the next four years. And if we can't learn to live well with them, how can we ever go on to make a difference in the world? And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been honestly a real source, I will say, like a real source of pride for me to like, when you kind of, yeah, you see people talking about the things that the government's writing about. Because you feel like, yeah, you know, like the article was a springboard and now the real work, the work begins. Starts at home. Huge. Yeah. We got just a few minutes left. 
Um, but yeah, that I remember your initial article, I think for the fall semester was, uh, or maybe it was for spring is just, uh, just introducing the gauntlet to people and, and saying, it's going to be, we're going to make challenging articles. One of the things you say, we're not going to just, just patch on the back. It's not going to be, and this is one of the things that, you know, Veritas in general, it's like, we, we kind of have a anti-white noise policy. We don't just like blend into the background. It's it's something that's gonna that's gonna challenge you. That's gonna push you. That you're gonna have to think about. And yeah, you guys are the gauntlet. Like, fill it in that regard. And and I don't think like like you were saying with the charismatic traditional stuff. You don't want to. You're not. The reason you're critical of it is, um, it's not as as core of your value, which is um, not just provoking, but really, yeah, living locally. That's huge. I think that was a that's a very great point to make people consider campus and consider their fellow student and their their, their fellow franny right right killing fellow franny um yeah and you guys do an excellent job of that i'm, I'm excited for for this semester's editions oh it's me too it's be great i'm looking forward to it because you guys got a special opportunity like we said with covid yeah a lot more people watching so it's like it's gonna be really interesting to see how it goes this will be our biggest year yet, you guys. Are well, that's biggest so well. yet, and it's always the biggest year for the Kellen and Alex show. Thank you for watching and tuning into this edition of the Kellen and Alex show, David. Thank you so much for joining us, David. Thank you, we appreciate it, brother. And Alex, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. We're looking forward to this semester. Um, let's let's say a hail mary to wrap up for for this semester. Absolutely. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, O good man, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And thank you to all you Tringuses out there for watching the Kellen and Alex show. We'll be back next Thursday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific time. That is 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for you East Coast Tringuses. Thanks so much for watching, guys, and have a good night. And thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the Kellen and Alex Show. Man, what a good podcast. Uh, if you want to join us live, we go live every Thursday evening, 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific time at twitch.tv slash hingustringus. That's twitch.tv slash H-I-N-G-U-S-T-R-I-N-I-N-G-U-S. I can spell. Uh, <laughs> also, give us a follow or a subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Podbeam, wherever you get your podcast. We are there. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Peace out.